0: The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text the reel to 500-500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible.
1: I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends,
0: our conversation begins. Shivers is over, thankfully. If you think you're not afraid of the dark. Ah!
1: If you think you have a strong stomach. Ah! If you feel nothing can shock you. Ah! If you say you don't scare easily. Ah! Ah! If you believe you've seen everything. Ah! And prepare yourself for a motion picture that takes you beyond fear, beyond your wildest nightmares,
0: and brings you face to face with terror. Beyond the power of priest or science to exercise.
1: Andy, uh, sometimes you need to just kick out a little body horror. Am I right?
0: That's what uh, that's what I always tell the kids.
1: That's right. Sometimes, kids, you got to do a little body horror. And so, some for some reason. Uh, I let you talk me into uh, jumping into a series after Robin Hood that was my, I would say, my most uh, experimental explorations in film. It's not my favorite genre, and I'm learning. This is good. This is exposure therapy for me. Uh, And so here we are. I don't know why this exposure therapy had to start with Cronenberg, but it did, and now we are here.
0: I think we went with Cronenberg for a couple reasons. One, he's an interesting director, and somebody who has a clear vision certainly is interesting to talk about. Two, he's a director that we have explored a few of his films in other series. We talked about The Fly. I can't remember what the series was now. Maybe it was a Halloween horror extravaganza. Who knows? It might have been a horror thing, yeah. Yeah. And he did The Dead Zone.
1: Yes, The Dead Zone,
0: which was slower than uh, I remembered from my youth. It was. I still like it. Yeah. The, it still has a lot of stuff going yeah. for it. And um, to that end, I uh, it would be one that I'd be interested in revisiting, certainly. The sure. Stephen King aspect and the Cronenberg aspect. And because we had touched on those two films, I thought it would be interesting. You know, we should look at more of Cronenberg's early works. I have seen very few of the films that we are going to be discussing. And so, yeah, I thought, you know, let's, Kind of explore Cronenberg from the beginning and uh, and kind of go through the eighties and and see what makes him tick as far as a director goes. Um now, what you, is
1: the, had you seen Shivers? Was it one no. of the things you'd seen? Okay,
0: all right, Good. no, the earliest film of his that I'd seen, um, I think it would have been The Dead Zone.
1: Oh, okay. So like, this is like this I is hadn't great. seen yeah. any of
0: these early films. Yeah.
1: Wonderful. This is good for both of us then. For different reasons, but good for both of us. So, did you what did you know about this film going into it? Did you kind of have an idea of what to expect?
0: I well, okay, and I take it back. I had seen The Brood and I had seen Videodrome. So, I don't know why I totally spaced those two. So, we've started off by just
1: straight up lying lying <laughs> to, to everybody. Lying to the people. I think the only one yeah. of these that I've seen is
0: Videodrome and it was
1: and, and it was and,
0: I was conned. For into some that. reason, I pegged you as a scanners guy.
1: Oh, I've totally seen scanners. That's on our See, list too. We were both
0: yeah. lying to the people. I have already.
1: <laughs> the lying has commenced.
0: Yes. And I, I have g- seen yes. Dead Ringers, but it was after. Oh, you know, I've it, also it, seen it, Dead Ringers. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. This is, this is not going well. Show <laughs> this is garbage. This is. If
1: if Andy or I tell you the sun is shining, please, people, go outside and look up first. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, now uh, let's erase all that. Uh, back to the beginning. Why Cronenberg? <laughs> and uh and and the early parts of his career i actually i feel like this is a this is a great place to start um uh, might as well start at the beginning uh this film um it it has an interesting statement uh certainly a visual statement visual notion on on body horror and um on the nature of humanity and sex this is movie is a big sex movie and that is i think for for my experience with it, at least visually, I think what this movie represents is is both the uh, the blessing of the movie and the curse of the narrative uh, and the things that I had a, a challenge with it. In what you know of Cronenberg and your experience with Cronenberg, does this? Uh, early exploration of body horror meet your expectation. What do you what do you think of its portrayal here?
0: I would say that it does because the whole notion of body horror and things kind of happening to your body, and and in this case, it's this parasite that is being genetically created by these scientists to uh, to basically act as a transplant that kind of turns into the organ it's supposed to be uh, replacing, so that it can you know become a functioning liver if you need a liver transplant or whatever. instead it turns into what basically looks like a giant slug of some sort, or in the in the realm of body horror, it looks like a penis crawling around and attacking people in kind of this sexual way and and it's like trying to get down their throats and uh basically. Take over their bodies and turn them into a sex crazed uh, person, and so to that end, there is this element that Cronenberg has of things like this that uh, kind of your body and this technology kind of come together. In this case, it's not you know, it's not like you know an actual uh, piece of metal or anything technology that is incorporated into your body. It's just the technology has created this parasite, and now this parasite is. Is changing you? For well, the worst. yeah.
1: It's I mean, and we've talked about this. We talked about this with the fly. It's that fear of science, not just technology. Yeah. It's that fear of uh, unknown, non-human innovation that is that is the
0: source, the root of terror. And I think that to that end, this fits in very well with Cronenberg. And mm-hmm. so I, I think, as a start, I think right out of the gate, he's kind of hitting exactly the mark that he's targeting. Um, but it does. It it does make me ask the question, because horror is so often kind of considered an easy genre to jump into filmmaking when you have a very small budget. Um, is that what makes this film stand out? Like it, for people in 1975 checking this movie out in the theaters, is it simply that element that stands out? Like what makes it seem different than another kind of monster slug sort of movie? <laughs>
1: I I love how you put that. I know it's 1975 like, was
0: full of them, <laughs>
1: full of them, right? Because horror is the filmmaker's gateway genre. I, you're absolutely right. Like if if there's a gateway drug, th- this is it. It's uh, it's easy. It's fun. It's uh, it's easy to shoot. Everybody's willing to do it. Uh, your dad'll do it. Like everybody'll do it. And uh, and so, yeah, I think that's interesting the the challenges I think that the film had that I find really interesting are are, were um, much more sort of of a nationalist nature. This being coming out of Canada, um, that, that this film was a real challenge to Canadian national cinema and the fact that it was partially funded by. The Canadian Film Development Corporation uh, posed a real challenge for getting this this stuff made. And so I wonder, just to get back to your specific question, if the things that make this stand out are the, um, you know, not necessarily the, the any particular innovation in the the body horror arena, Um they weren't coming out of Canada, those films, but they were certainly coming out of California, certainly coming out of the East Coast. Uh, but I wonder if it was just all that added to the controversy of this film coming out of a place that didn't know what to do with it.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, obviously, there's an audience for these types of movies, and it found its audience. And uh, But also... That's one thing about horror is that it does find its detractors. And Mm. certainly when it is a a project that is partially funded by the country, I can see why some people might take offense. You know, anytime any art project is funded, it goes under a lot of scrutiny when it's public funding because people look at that and go, I can't believe that our money is going to fund trash like that. And inevitably, you'll hear that conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, uh, well, I mean, I guess filmmakers can look at that as one of two ways. One, it can be frustrating because it makes it harder to get that money. But two, once you have it made, it can certainly help boost the interest in the project. I mean, we've seen that happen countless times where it, it spurs people to have that curiosity about the project and can potentially increase the box office revenues.
1: Have you I mean, I'm thinking about my own The projects are I work on are so small, and they're so private. And yet, you run into exactly the same thing. The people who give you the money feel like once they have interest in giving you the money. That they have interest in having a say, and uh, mm-hmm. even after the things are produced, and I know you guys have produced some things that have uh, that are controversial, far more controversial than I do, and uh, and so I wonder how that uh, how that hits you. Does this experience feel familiar?
0: I mean, I have not been in a place where we've had quite that much controversy as far as the funding of projects, mm. um, you know. But certainly, when you are doing a project and there is a company that is providing funding, yes, or a person, they are going to want a say. And it really boils down to kind of the negotiations at the at the top of the whole thing to s- figure out how all of that's playing out. There are some, uh, you know, investors who believe in the artist and what the artist can accomplish and feel comfortable saying, here's the money, do what you do best, and make something great. And uh, you know, hopefully I'll reap some rewards at the end of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's not always that way. And, and sometimes it's like you gotta do a lot of whining and dining to make that happen and and continue to do it. I know that's something that Terry Gilliam talked about, I believe it was on the documentary, um, the kind of behind the scenes of the failure of his uh Don Quixote movie um back in the early two thousands when Uh, you know, the investors would come to set to tour and he kind of just felt like he was on parade and had to, you know, he was on this stage and had to do all this stuff for them just so they could leave so that he could get back to doing what it is that he wanted to be doing. It's a difficult situation. And inevitably, I think there is a dance that you have to do. I don't feel like Cronenberg had to do that. I don't, from reading the kind of the, the articles and kind of the commentary and and everything that came out of it. It sounds like he did all the stuff and made his movie before people realized what he was doing. And all of this came after the fact.
1: Well, and that's the that's the greater source of of controversy of this movie is the fact that people want to say in the movie after it's already made. And uh, you know the the most notable uh, review Robert Fulford uh, was editor of the Saturday Night Magazines. uh, You know his commentary on Cronenberg and the Canadian Film Development Corporation was: if using public money to produce films like Shivers is the only way that English Canada can have a film industry, then perhaps English Canada should not. Have a film industry ouch ouch uh uh, interesting angle on the whole canadian piece of it too uh quote no maple leaf and beaver sentiment no going down the road to a new canadian awareness this was richard labont the uh, of the ottawa citizen and he's criticizing the film for not making good on the tropes that make a canadian film canadian (laughs) Uh, that, that there, there, you couldn't tell it was a Canadian film and that was a central problem of it. I guess they all should have had some, uh, maple leaf, uh, jerseys on or something. So
0: to that end, Strange Brew would be like a perfect example strange, of what they for. strange crew
1: is exactly that sort of film. So well and this is a, a time where Canadian cinema was at a real divergence right trying to figure out where where allegiance lies artistically and and it, it you know from what I was reading on it uh, over this week was that there is a real sense that at the time Cronenberg's film comes out right in the face of Canadian national cinema that is largely following Europe in in its sense and sensibilities of of, of cinema. And uh, th- this film came around that just smashed Hollywood horror tropes in their faces, and they weren't ready for it. Uh, I think that, that makes this film notable, um, you know, certainly more notable than the horror tropes at play on screen.
0: Yeah. It's it's an interesting subject to discuss as far as like watching Cronenberg kind of gets get a start here, yeah. Um, You know, through these complexities of dealing with all of this, and we should say with producer Ivan Reitman, who was his um, producing partner for this film and his next film before he went on to Animal House and kind of all of the comedy that that uh, that really made his career. Um, but I, and, and Cronenberg is a person who I think will have success. But from reading interviews with him, it sounds like financing has never been an easy prospect for him. And I can imagine that when you're making this type of film and you have detractors like Fulford and Labont and uh, a lot of other, you know, movie going public, it can make it difficult to get your projects made when they are much more specific and for some people pretty obscure and uncomfortable visions
1: yeah uh, you know and case in point interestingly you know as we talk about the canadian critics who had such a, such a trouble with this film uh you know it was ebert that gave it you know i think two and a half stars and said yeah you know kind of surprised me it was good <laughs> so yeah I, was, Right. Right. Uh, there we go from the uh Uh, american critic you want to talk a little bit about uh dig into the movie now
0: yeah let's uh let's kind of look at it so it's it's an interesting film the way it's set up it's it's basically a film that takes place on an island and it's like a i don't know what it's not quite like a resort but it's it's like an apartment living situation where it's like this community has everything they need for the most part, in this apartment complex that's on this island. And to get back and forth, they just have to cross a bridge over to the mainland.
1: Right, right. It's a self-contained community and that's a big flagship uh, architectural uh, development. And it celebrates all the tropes of modernity, this thing, the Starliner. It's this giant, you know, the angles that they shoot it, it looks like it could be a big ship that just sort of unmoors and takes off into the ocean or takes off into the sky. It, it's uh, you know, it, it's like uh, you know, 70s industrial chic, you know. I imagine it's just what they could find to shoot. But it looks like of 1975, modern and, and and um, uh, you know, they really they opened the film with this like um, cross cutting between all kinds of uh, of different scenes: the, the work a day going on in the the uh, building, this um, uh, uh, video sort of tourism uh, guide of the Starliner, and uh, a horrifying murder scene of an older gentleman murdering a schoolgirl. Mm-hmm. So there's that.
0: It's a great way to kick off the film. First of all, that slideshow was perfect because it's it really kind of sets up that that marketing sense of places like this yes. where you're kind of seeing just all of the glory of what makes it a saleable property and something that people would be interested in leading right into a a, a the uh what's his name like the the guy who's like the tour guide basically right um, the manager with, of the with property, list. <laughs> with, with the uh, the two Swedish people. I, yes. I think they were actually like Mr. and Mrs. Sweden, I think was actually what they're, or Svib, Svibin, <laughs> which I thought was uh, pretty funny, yeah. as he's showing them kind of the great aspects of this place. And then we do this wonderful intercutting. And that right away set this film up on a pretty high mark for me because that great kind of that cheeky slideshow leading into some really interesting intercutting that doesn't tell us, like that murder scene that you talked about, it doesn't tell us anything as to what's going on. What a great way to kind of start a film like this where you have this situation happening and only later do you start realizing what was going on in that particular room with this doctor and this girl.
1: Yeah, I, I have to tell you, it may come as a surprise. I loved the way this film opened. I really mm-hmm. do. And I, I actually I'll I'll go even further. The, the introduction of the other characters, Tudor, who is this um, uh, kind of a nebbishy uh, business guy, uh, works, I guess, in insurance. I'm I'm gathering and he, you know, his first stop from his uh, leaving his apartment is another uh, unit where he's clearly been having an affair. He's the one who discovers these bodies.
0: It's that girl's apartment. Who it's gets a, in the right the girl's apartment like, gets skilled so
1: he's the one to discover all this i i find that whole thing and how trusting cronenberg is with you know what he is putting on on screen uh, that we'll get it without telling us anything i mean he's just he artfully showing us how all these characters work together live together it it confirms our understanding of the Starliner as our setting and the sort of insular nature of it. It absolutely puts into place the relationship between these people. I really loved it. And, and I, I think the film, it's just, it starts off at a, at a peak and, uh, the stars just fall, start falling off. From there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it's a, it's an interesting and tricky film to set up because we have a lot of characters at the beginning. You know, we meet the manager of the hotel and this new couple, and we meet Nick and his wife, and kind of we sense the distance that there is with him as far as she's concerned. We kind of meet this doctor who's killing this uh, girl. We meet the other doctor, kind of like the building doctor, Dr. St. Luke. St. Luke. He's the and, new guy uh, on
1: the job, right? He's a, that yeah. satisfies a familiar trope.
0: And along with the other doctor, uh, Linsky, and they kind of have a working relationship. And uh, we meet the nurse that Dr. St. Luke is is sleeping with. And and it, so it, it, just a lot of different people that we kind of get to know. It took me a while to figure out, like, who am I following here? You know, I didn't know who the protagonist was. And it took a while for us to get to a point that you're like, oh, it's Dr. St. Luke. I didn't realize that for a while.
1: Well, and I think some of that goes to Paul Hampton's r- truly understated performance as Dr. St. Luke. I He could stand in as any generic science-y CSI background character in that opening uh, room. He could send in as any generic kind of office worker, and it it took me some time to figure out. I need to look at that guy, at that generic blonde guy, in order to understand the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he, <laughs> he, he just he, it was it was so understated, maybe to a fault. I I was challenged by that. The fact that Lynn Lowry is as Nurse Forsythe keeps paying attention to him, and then eventually starts taking her clothes off in front of him is it, it was telling that he was central to the film.
0: Oh, and that was another situation that was a little, uh, I, I like, these are elements where there's a line, I think, that Cronenberg is walking as far as presenting information for us that, like, we have to catch up and figure out what's going on, like everything happening in that upstairs room uh, as the girl gets killed. Uh, we have to kind of play catch up and figure that out. But then there are things like this with the doctor and his nurse and kind of what's this relationship all about? And you know, is she crazy? Like, I I think that there's a line that he's walking as far as trying to stay ahead of us and just using it to his advantage, especially in the realm of horror, like with the doctor and the nurse, my immediate thought was, oh, I wonder if she's already been Um, taken by this parasite, and now she's going to come after him, only to find out, oh no, they just have this relationship. I think that it's interesting the way that Cronenberg is playing these elements, but I also feel like you can kind of tell a little bit that it's a first film, because some of it is a little sloppier than it should be. It made it a little harder to tell what was going on at times, and harder to connect to the characters, because I, I don't think that I think that there are elements where he has an assured hand as far as what he's doing. But there are definitely elements that also that hand is not as assured.
1: Well, it's a funny thing. I couldn't tell in parts what was intentional and what was, you know, rough or sloppy, as as you say. It felt in in part uh, very much like the opening to Romero's Dawn of the Dead, you know, where you have this busy, um, you know, TV news place and you just we've got new characters we have to meet and we're in the station and we're moving through the station and we're in and out of the station you're not quite sure who to pay attention to we have some horrific things going on in another room in another location that we're kind of following and uh, all of these things come together in uh, you know eventually you've built the team and that's what I feel like we're doing here obviously it's not quite as frenetic as Dawn of the Dead but uh, what we end up with here is ultimately a bunch of 70s sort of toned um and and structured individual character narratives coming together and uh and and it it felt reminiscent of of Romero in in I think a good way.
0: Yeah, that's actually a great comparison. I think that there is that element of kind of giving us these little stories. And then we just kind of start latching on and going, oh, okay, Janine seems like she's going to be the person from that thread that we're going to kind of follow. And right. we've got St. Luke as the person we'll follow from that thread. And we've got Linsky. And y- you start kind of piecing this together. And I think what it does is it doesn't really give us a strong protagonist to follow, but it gives us a lot of supporting characters to kind of watch. And it's it's interesting the way that it unfolds because some of them start turning Uh, or getting taken, I guess, by the parasite before they all ever really kind of come together. And I thought that was actually pretty interesting. Like you start kind of setting this up where we are going to move towards something where we might have a team, but it never quite gets there because some of the people just don't, you know, they don't make it. They get caught.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where it it starts to fall apart part of the reason i just to pile on a little bit i it, with the uh, the no strong protagonist thing is that i just don't think paul hampton is a strong protagonist yes. right and and so uh that i struggled with that all the way to the very end i think this movie is short on strong protagonists cuz they don't exist and and even if the part was there we didn't have someone carrying it um the the challenge i have if if there is any uh, uh challenge to be had around the antagonist is the parasite and uh i really struggled with the nature of the parasite i, mean, I want to step back to to the pre-parasite conversation though because i think this is really important we have this Intention of taking a parasite and making it an, an organ replacement, and I was 100 percent in. that is cool. And I can already in my head go down the road of seeing where this science, this technology, is going to fail, and things are going to go south. And then we have this turn where you know, the uh, St. Luke and, and uh, Linsky are reading the research of the doctor who killed himself in the beginning. He was the one who was supposedly behind all this. And there's this giant twist, Andy, and it was the most deflating twist <laughs> I have ever seen. And I, I'm i not a student of these films, but this one, I feel like I, uh, this was terrible. It turns out that the doctor wasn't trying to build this fantastic parasite at all. He was trying to unleash a sexual plague upon the earth. Andy, that's dumb, right?
0: It's a problematic element of the film. And that is, for me, I think the biggest element of this film that feels like a low budget horror movie that isn't necessarily Cronenberg. It feels like, you know, the the bad end of somebody wanting to make a sex horror. Or yeah. Like, we're going to unleash a parasite that's going to turn everybody into sex crazed maniacs. Okay, I feel like I've probably heard of a movie like that before yeah. that's not this one because somebody's probably made it, you know, just so you can get more people kind of having sex on screen. And believe me, I'm I'm a, I'm a pro sex guy. I am in
1: favor of the <laughs> sex. You know what? Like there is sex is great. Enjoy it. Really? Unleash a sexual plague upon the earth. It took, it snatched defeat from the open jaws of victory. Re- I mean, this was, it was going to be a great setup, and then he just lit it on fire, and I lost complete interest in this and i thought this is a movie this is a guy who's not ready this was that's what we're watching here is a is a film that's not been workshopped enough it's a film that is not nobody stood up and said hey (laughs) you know what we already the first act we already locked that let's just go with what we had there we don't need
0: to we don't need to do this they could have even and this is rewriting a little bit but even if it was like this whole idea of this parasite that replaces an organ. If they had replaced, you know, a surgery where somebody had lost, like a guy had lost his penis or whatever, and they tried to use it for that, and it worked. And, you know, he was a perfectly, perfectly functioning male again. And then that parasite breaks free or kills the guy or whatever, or turns him into a sex craze maniac and breaks free. And that's the thing that starts running around. That would have made more sense because then at least it wouldn't have seemed like this far-fetched nonsense of this doctor who has this crazy idea of this this insane plan that he has in place.
1: You know, I can't wait for you to, listen to the show after i edit it a little bit and hear what you just said <laughs> you know about the sex craze penal transplant actually being believable
0: i can't wait i it's i am yeah, just saying as i am feel I. like i could have bought it more <laughs> oh this is going to be a fun few weeks talking about all these oh, yeah. body parts and organs. Well, now Broderberg I think we have an at,
1: we have an avatar uh, listener, which is the guy who lost his penis in a combine accident, <laughs> and he's really needed it needed a replacement, and they found a parasite virus to do the job, and, and it goes crazy. It's it's like idle hands, but idle penis. It's the that's where we are. <laughs> do I need to click the explicit tag for the? Cronenberg series, just
0: because of our questionable use of penis. It's an odd idea that this this doctor came up with, and and then it, it you know I don't know. Lot of issues. I, then I don't, I'm questioning like, well, why is he killing her at the beginning? Is he, did he realize what he's done and is trying to stop it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? I actually, I find that that's fine. Uh, you know, a, a number of reviewers have launched, uh, latched onto this, the parallel, calling her his typhoid Mary, right? She was patient zero. She's the one who started mm-hmm. it all. And I like that. I mean, that, that feels good. He was trying to fix something that was going wrong. He didn't know that she was sleeping around with half the people in the, in the, um, uh, uh, place like geez.
0: the sort of thing that i feel like a doctor should know before doing something involving sex
1: yeah right you you know that is a What's checklist like? that's a checklist they hadn't invented in 1975
0: andy Apparently. they've closed well, some they loop still had the, then. the little key game yeah i learned about in the ice storm <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right so i uh, you know all of that is 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 fine. I, I like I bought that. That's okay. I I can handle that. And uh I really struggled with everything after we discovered that. And I thought it was just such a weak story decision that it it truly it was Hannibal's march to the sea for me. I just felt like he lit everything on fire. And I love the sort of zombie style. But now back to this, to my questions about the parasite. I I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand the horror part of the parasite, Andy. The the parasite, let's just say, let's just say the parasite's a thing. It comes in, you're doing your laundry, like our the lovely lady who's doing her laundry downstairs. The parasite gets at her, it injects some sort of a thing, and it makes her want to have a lot of sex. Right. So far, right? Yep. There was a lot of what I can only classify as inconsequential horror in the last half of this movie. Like there was blood and like, I don't, but I don't know why people were, I don't know why there was so much blood because really ultimately the people in the pool at the end seemed to live. And then they got in their cars and drove away to have a lot more sex with more people. Like there, the, like where, (laughs) I, it seems weird for me to say, where was the threat? In this sex parasite, it just made people want to have sex. I don't understand that.
0: I think that the well, there's blood when it sometimes gets in you. Okay. We know that it can create a lot of blood. I guess there's blood when it comes out. Yeah. There's, but, there's but no, I mean, Tudor,
1: it came out his mouth and Tudor was fine. If yeah. anything, I mean, we call it a parasite, but I would might even call it a symbiote. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's an imperfect situation. I feel like I, I put you was, in a
1: very difficult situation here having to justify all of these threats. No, to go I, on.
0: I I don't <laughs> think they're they I I'm I'm weakly justifying it because I think it is uh, fairly weak the way that all of that plays out. I just don't think that it ends up uh, it it doesn't end up working as well as it could because of the nature of what he's decided to do with this thing. And uh, because, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's this bloody slug that mostly seems to go through your mouth and come out your mouth into another person. And once you have, I don't know, I guess it lays the eggs inside of you and you kind of kiss somebody else, it it goes from your mouth into theirs and uh, then it lays its eggs or whatever affects your brain and all of a sudden you're a sex maniac too. The way that I saw this film, it was almost as if there was a reaction to like STDs and this whole idea of, of, you know, what sex can do. And it turns you into like you, you get inf- infected and it's invisible and it turns you into somebody that, uh, that you're not, you're now, you know walking around with this disease. And it seemed like there's an element of that where that's the fear is that you want to stay away because you don't want to, you don't want to be infected by all of this and i think he's playing up the fears of of losing control and, and and kind of that that kind of stampeding sexual appetite coming at you that that you know infects you i don't know
1: well right? and you know there is a statement a sort of statement that i i got out of it on the the sort of nature of repression and and i think that is to me what i read just in the film um, you know about uh, sort of a Uh, cultural response right that that you know if you if you live in a in in a culturally repressed sexually repressed culture right uh and then then this movie is making the statement and we have that in the starliner right the starliner is as sterile and uh sort of anodyne kind of repressed uh a numb place that, that you could create right it it is just, just it's not a festering bed of anything fun, and what this movie says to me is like you let. You know, you let industrial chic take over, and what you're going to have is explosive response. You're going to have a, a response that is we're going the the other way too far too fast, and we we won't know what to do with it, right? It will be – well, if you try to repress sexuality, we're going to be hypersexual in response. And if you're going to uh, repress scientific experimentation, we're going to do things that are going to cause, um, you know, great damage uh, and and so I think that is is the this this movie sort of is trying to walk the balancing point between uh, so many of these different um, elements that that I think that's where it struggles. And and when you apply the narrative tools and the, the narrative choices that Cronenberg made in the script to some of these much more complicated uh, cultural sort of metaphorical statements, I think it 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 just loses the thread. It doesn't sell it. Um, the film doesn't sell those statements well because you. I just don't buy the. I don't buy the big bad. I don't buy the evil. I don't. I don't buy you what, what you've made. Essentially, is a recruiting program for orgy camp. It looks like like I liked a lot of these people much better. You know, after they were sex crazed maniacs. Let's go to the pool. Well, they liked
0: each other, too. (laughs) They did. Everybody
1: liked each other. Like, they were, it was just like, if you could get over the entrances and exits of the parasite itself, okay, if you get over that, everybody seemed to be having a good time.
0: Yeah, except for Nick, who, you know, the parasite came out of his stomach. And so, I mean, there are certain situations that it's a little more problematic than others. Yes, Truth. And I think that there were situations where people were violent toward each other because of the aggressive nature they were trying to capture somebody and the way that those people were trying to fend them off. Yes.
1: that's uh, a, so, Again,
0: that's the, the other side of repression, right? That right. hyper-everything. It's it's interesting. I I think that there is an element of kind of um, that that the fear of like that groupthink or just kind of being pursued by a mass that I, I think Cronenberg captures pretty effectively. Notably, when St. Luke runs out, he finally gets out the front door of the place and starts running up the hill only to turn right back down and run down because as we see, there are hordes of these maniacs who are coming toward him now. And I think that that's something he captures really effectively of a group of people coming toward you that you can't stop. It's this mob mentality that they have now, and you are their target. And how frightening would that be? I think John Carpenter's captured that well in projects like Prince of Darkness, and I think that Cronenberg captures that well here. And it does make me wonder, because of the nature of this apartment complex, that it's just a a very middle-class sort of place it does make me wonder if there is some commentary that he's making about kind of uh, very similar, again, to what you brought up earlier, Dawn of the Dead, and this nature of this middle class humanity that just kind of uh, goes along being part of the herd.
1: Yeah, I just think Dawn of the Dead does it better. I think Dawn of the Dead oh, there's sure. some there's some cultural threat, uh, right? There is a you you get the threat by way of the you know these things are scary at the end of the. <laughs> Climax as he comes back into the pool. And there's just a whole bunch of people coming in saying, you know, we're totally gonna have sex with you right now. <laughs> <they> thought, okay. <laughs>
0: so yeah. yeah. All right. Well. And then and then we end it with them all. You know, he is one of them he's now, one and of they're them. all getting in their cars and they all leave the property, crossing the bridge to go basically fulfill this doctor's crazy plan of turning the world into a, uh, basically a sandals. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. You know, it's
1: this ending that actually brings it back to the thing that is, uh, that, that I think, um... Uh, you know, Body Snatchers has has all, all of the takes sure. on Body Snatchers have done so well, which is the idea that you are no longer in your control. And uh, in your own control that you're being sort of um, manipulated by this other other thing that has now made you a vehicle. And uh, I, I think that is the missed opportunity of this movie. You know, let's say I I'll, like, clearly I'm in favor of the sex premise. I don't like that. they I, I just feel like the movie came off the rails with a weird twist in the middle uh, it, that was unearned and I think not a great choice for the movie and I think they could the ending would have paid off better had it stuck to this to to more of a uh, you know of that sort of loss of control the body snatchers type theme than the we're just going to show a lot of people trying really hard to have sex with each other <laughs> that, that just it just got so cheap it got so cheap in the in that sort of end of the second act that I yeah I, I just didn't care for it
0: yeah, it's interesting. The body horror nature of it has this this penile slug creature that is, you know, projecting itself into your face basically um in order to turn you into one of its followers. And and that is kind of the body horror element of this. It's and, not
1: in in that point and it's not that scary
0: No, but it's 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 a foreign object, though, and I guess that's the thing. It's this technological thing that has been created. Science made this thing, and now it will turn you. So, I mean, it's it's yes, there's the sex element of it that does make it all kind of comical, but in the end, you are still no longer you. Yes, like it's not like these people are going to go back to their day jobs, and just they'll all have sex whenever they want to. They're not themselves anymore. They are essentially zombies. It's just sex zombies as opposed to eating flesh and blood okay, zombies. Okay,
1: but this is the problem that I have. There's a sequence where she uh, goes, or he goes into, know, one of them, goes into a darkened room and closes the door and looks through the people, and they're those two guys in the yellow and blue underwear.
0: Yeah, and right, they're Coming
1: right. down, the, down the hall, and they look up into the thing, and they are absolutely lucid. Right. It, yeah. It's no, they're right. not mindless. Like he didn't create this parasite, doesn't create the same kind of terrifying mindless zombie people. It creates people who are essentially just amped
0: up. Yeah, same thing with the manager. He convinces those people, he's like, Hey, your your locker's been broken into. Come in here. We've got some stuff of yours. Right. And those people follow him. But it was a trap to lure them in. And that those are elements I think that I think, affect the, the quality of the story Cronenberg is creating here, because I don't think they end up creating as effective a world, as far as the context of world building goes, yeah. that makes uh, this story make sense for me.
1: It, it feels uncertain, like he's just not sure around any corner. I don't feel like I'm in, an, in, in uh, capable hands here, that he's leading me down something that he, where he knows where it's going at the end, right? It seems like every choice in every scene is just just on the wrong side of arbitrary. Not surprising, yeah. but uncertain.
0: I think that's an interesting way to look at it. And I think Cronenberg would, uh, well, and we'll find out. I feel like he is going to get better at telling stories that are a little, uh, that, that can use a little more clarity as he kind of progresses in his filmmaking.
1: Uh, We've mentioned a number of names on the thing. Um, uh, and in, in terms of, I, I've not been a student of Cronenberg. I don't know who his people are. Does he have a, a group of people that he's going to be dragging along with him? Uh, any particular names of note that we should, we should start to learn?
0: Off and on, there are going to be people throughout this that we will see repeating. Um, starting out of the gate, there are a few well there's one person uh, the person who plays the hotel manager or the starliner manager um uh, played by ronald molodzik i'm not qu- exactly sure how to pronounce his last name he this is his last time working with cronenberg he or, no sorry he will be in rabbit also um but he was in stereo and crimes of the future which are the two kind of avant-garde um features the short features that cronenberg did before this film so Right out of the gate, he's already had one person that he's worked with a number of times. And Joe Silver, he, um, he is in this as Linsky. This, uh, he is going to be working with him two times, this and uh, the next film, Rabid. And likewise, Ivan Reitman that uh, I already mentioned. So Who also will did be Double Duty as
1: music supervisor on this film.
0: Yeah, right, exactly. Funny? It's, it is, yeah, Small I budget, I many curious hands. about that. Right. Exactly, right. But as we progress through the 80s with cronenberg it will be interesting to see you know who else has he had on that he is, has kind of become a regular collaborator with so we'll kind of keep track of that so we can uh, we can see how to do an award season it's a horror film it wasn't kind of a big horror uh, or a big award uh, thing but there was; it did end up taking one award, and that was at Sitges, uh, the Catalonian International Film Festival. It did uh, win; it was it's a horror uh, film festival, and I believe it won first place uh, uh, for best director. David Cronenberg got the Medalla Sitges en Oro de Ley, so that was his uh, his prize for this film. But that was it. Still, out of the gate, you know, winning best director, I think. Even with issues that we are bringing up, people can see there's something about the way that this film was made that it's not just another space slug attacking people movie.
1: Well, it is certainly uh, uh, it certainly has some courageous uh, elements to it. I would say in both both in the story and in uh, choices that the director uh, made here. So I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. How it do in the box office? I know you have your little black book. You've been tracking this one to the penny.
0: Cronenberg was working with a meager indie budget of about $175,000, really small, as you said, part of which was funded by Telefilm Canada. That is about $830,000 in today's dollars. Really, I mean, you know, I've made indie features for that much, so it's right in line. The movie did have a limited release in Montreal on October 10th, 1975, before getting a wider release across Canada and the U.S., That wider release triggered the Parliament of Canada to debate the film's social and artistic value upon society because of objections to its sexual and graphic content, which you had brought up. And perhaps because of that debate, the film ended up becoming Canada's highest-grossing film up to that time. Again, to our point earlier in the conversation. (laughs) Right. Well done, Um, (laughs) Cronenberg. Oh, so funny. Unfortunately, I could not find any actual numbers about how much money it made in Canada. All I could find was how much it made in the States. The film did go on to make $185,000 or about $880,000 in today's dollars. Even with that small amount of money, the movie did end up with a profit. Just based on that, uh, the adjusted profit per finished minute is $573. And I guess my final point is just know that that number should be higher. Assuming that, you know, the Canadian box office wasn't dinky, that the highest-grossing film of all time at that point in 1975 in Canada. Obviously, there was more money to be talked about here.
1: <laughs> seems pretty meager. $573 <laughs> per minute. Okay. All right. It's a start. So you know where the bar, yeah. the bar is very
0: low. Uh, right. Right.
1: Well, Andy, this was a great place to start. Obviously, it's the right, appropriate place to start our exploration of the early films of Cronenberg, and I think we should probably rank it. Yeah, let's do it. Head over to FlickChart.com slash The Next Reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this show. You can uh, swipe over, tap the word FlickChart in your podcast app of choice. It should take you right to this movie, or you can rank it yourself. Add it to your list and see how it stacks up against ours.
0: And we should say that Shivers did go by a number of other names. The Parasite Murders, and They Came From Within, and actually... That they came from within is how it is listed on Flickchart. Well,
1: and I am surprised that you didn't include in that list the original shooting title of the movie, which was "Orgy of the Blood Parasites," which I <laughs> right. think we could all agree should have been the final release title. But you know, pretty much Canada. Pretty much. Come on,
0: it does make me wonder why was it called Shivers?
1: Yeah, did you? Like,
0: I mean, did you get? I don't feel like I have Shivers? an answer. I feel. I, what, is that what its intention was? <laughs> I, no I feel that. like it was named Shivers because it sounds like a horror title. Yeah. Like Shivers, the Parasite Murder sounds better. Yeah. They Came From Within sounds better. Orgy of the Blood Parasite sounds the best.
1: Oh, yeah. We don't they even need a us. judge's ruling on that. Huge <laughs> missed opportunity.
0: All right. First up, we have Shivers or A Star Is Born, 1937. Well, I'm going st- with the star A Star is Born. A Star is Born. Yeah. Shivers or Robin and the Seven Hoods. I'm definitely going with Shivers. I, I think I'll go with Shivers too. Shivers or Ocean's Twelve. Ocean's Twelve. I'll say Ocean's Twelve. Shivers or Lupin the Third, the Castle of Cagliostro? Uh,
1: Lupin the Third for me.
0: I'll take Lupin the Third as well. Shivers or Compulsion. Compulsion. Gotta go with Compulsion. Shivers or the Host. <laughs> Interesting.
1: <laughs> so Host. So, so host.
0: (laughs) I'll take the host. There you go. Shivers or Christmas in July. That was a lovely little movie. I'll take Christmas in July. I'll definitely take Christmas in July. Shivers or one from our last series, Robin Hood, Men in Tights.
1: I think before the show tonight, I probably would have gone with Men in Tights. I think I might take Shivers. I... I could be easily swayed,
0: Andy. You have a lot of power here. (laughs) I am, uh, I'm going to go with Shivers. All right. Shivers or Lafem Nikita. Lafem Nikita. Nikita, please. Well, that lands Shivers in spot 313 on our chart. 313 out of 419 or about a 25% on our chart.
1: 25%. I'll tell you, it surprised me a couple of things have surprised me here. First of all, that you and I are in quite as much agreement on this film as we are. I don't know what I, I I don't know. I guess what I expected was that you were going to be more bullish on this film than I was, uh, just because of the genre bonus. We'll call it the Andy Mm -hmm. Nelson horror genre bonus plus two points. And, um, that has been known to happen. It has been known to happen. I feel like, uh, so that surprised me, uh, also surprises me that it did more poorly it did worse in uh on our uh flick chart than it did on my individual flick chart how'd it do for
0: yours it landed it did better on my flick chart as well it landed about 50 percent 21.01 out of 42.03 so it's almost smack dab in the middle of my chart
1: mine is exactly smack dab in the middle of my chart 704 out of 1408 yes i've Mm. been ranking and uh so that's 50 percent. if i'm going by the algorithm that should be uh straight up two and a half stars over at letterboxcom
0: slash the next reel do you agree I, I i was at two and a half but after our conversation i feel like i'm bumping mine up to a three and the like i feel like there, are despite the issues with the film there are some interesting elements that are worth thinking about and revisiting. I, I feel
1: like eventually I might get to a three star on my personal I am not there yet. I it when I first watched this movie, I you know, it was last week and I I yeah, I Full on, wash my hands of it, and I was like one star if it's lucky on a good day. Wow, I was done <laughs> uh, right now, and and I had to re rank it a number of times um, to to just feel like I'm getting to the right place. And I I feel much better about leaving it right at two and a half stars. And uh, I'll give it a like. And it's a thing I might even watch again. I think it's a an interesting contribution, and I I like I I like what it did to me, Andy. <laughs> I didn't have to turn it off or go to the bathroom too many times. I did all right. I made it through. I'm proud of myself. So um, it's good. I'm learning. I can be taught.
0: That's wonderful. Where do we,
1: where do we go from here?
0: We're going just a couple of years in Cronenberg's uh, filmmaking. We're going to be looking at Rabid, which, uh, again, worked on with Ivan Reitman. And uh, this will be an interesting one to, uh, to kind of explore as... They kind of continued the horror trope, and in particular, because they cast Marilyn chambers a a porn actress to play the the lead character in it uh, to attract more people for that horror audience.
1: Well, that's telling. if 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 I recall, not even just the casting, but the just the movie itself was of greater controversial renown
0: than this one. Am I right? I am not sure, but okay. I will. Uh, I'm, it'll definitely be something that we can talk about more next week. And you haven't seen it. I have now. Oh, oh, you have. Yeah. I okay. just watched it. Yesterday, it's like yeah. we're talking in the future. All right. Well, this has been mm. great, Andy. You know what they say: when the movie ends, our conversation begins.
1: Amazon giveth, Andy. As Amazon
0: always doeth. Uh, you know, eh, they
1: sort of giveth. As Amazon sometimes eh, doeth. They sometimes giveth. Uh, I went. I went down. I think you uh, went high this week. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> do, do tell me, Andy, where do you sit on this grueling line of inquiry?
0: <laughs> uh, to, uh, as of yet to be determined. I, oh, dear. I think oh, I have right. a, well, a decent one, but you know what? I, I've, got, I've got a five star to go with. It's not great. So I'm just scanning other stars just in case I find something that I enjoy more.
1: You know, I'll let you have it. And I'll, I'll start then, uh, knowing now that you will actively not be paying attention to me as I share <laughs> my review. This is a one star from Blue Science uh, from 2003, who watched this on DVD and says, Mr. Cronenberg, a thief? Well, I thought he might have borrowed some ideas from Pasolini's Salo, but it appears they were released around the same time. If anyone's been light with their fingers over this movie, then it's George A. Romero. Reprehensible use of minors in this picture cannot make this anything other than a one-star, but see it for Paul Hampton as Dr. Roger
0: St. Luke. His performance rocks. The way your voice was going, I thought you were going to say his performance was sexy. I felt sexy
1: (laughs) as I was saying it.
0: (laughs) Well, if it made you feel sexy, maybe that's all that matters. That's all that
1: matters. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I guess I'm landing on my five star. It's not that exciting of a five star, but uh, I I couldn't find anything that I was really excited about on threes or fours either. So this is a five star. Uh, Matthew Rabe simply says, sick. Totally gross, totally ludicrous, totally creative, totally fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and as it turns out, he was just reading the marketing copy for the Starliner. <laughs> 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 uh, you know. Indeed. Uh, th- indeed. Th- thanks, Amazon. And more importantly, thanks, Canada.